Uh, today we are, as we've been telling you over the last couple of weeks, we're starting our uh, Radical Faith series. Um, back in August, August 1st, as a matter of fact, Pastor Gail went, to, uh, went back home to West Virginia to have a, he had a, uh, a wedding for his niece, and, uh, and he said, hey, we're, we're starting this pause series. And so, um, you know, if you wouldn't mind kind of kicking it off, that'd be great. And so that's what I did. And uh, we only did one, and then we stopped. And so this week, this time around, uh, Gail's back in West Virginia for another niece's wedding. And ironically, it falls on the first week of Radical Faith. And so his message was like, don't screw it up again. Okay, we, we've, we've got to get through these, this entire series here, not just a part of it, or not just one. But that whole essence of the, uh, of the pause series was one which we really felt God kind of laying on us, uh, is saying, you know what, there's some times in life that we need to say uh, no to some very good things in order to say yes to the very best that God has uh, called us to and wants of us and all that kind of stuff. And so um, the following Tuesday, we get, back in, we get into staff meeting, and everybody was kind of like, right, that was good, but th- I think we're missing something. I think we're missing out on what exactly God is calling us to do. And so um, that kind of started this process of uh, Pastor Gail having us read this book called Radical. Uh, the subtitle there says, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. And so as a staff, we've been really wrestling with this book now for eight or nine weeks. And so this series has kind of been birthed out of that, birthed out of what God is kind of calling us to and, uh, and so I get this great opportunity this morning uh, to share with you a very, very um, fuzzy type message. Now I'm lying. It's not fuzzy. In fact, we're going to have to start out today um, with our, our, our Radical Faith series, uh, looking at radical abandonment. And the first thing that we're going to have to radically abandon is our comfort. Because it's not going to be a comfortable message. Okay? If, if the last two services were any indication about it, um, my windows have been soaped, my tires were slashed, and Adrian, Adrian's a tough place, man. I didn't even get, to the, I didn't even get back to the car and the tires, no, that wasn't it. But I got many dagger looks, I guess, if that, it's me, slash my heart is more like it. Not the tires, but more of the heart, and that's okay. I'm okay with it, because this is not going to be a very easy message. But I am glad that I've gotten to this day with you guys. Because I've had to be wrestling with this now uh, for, uh, for a little bit. And, and now I'm glad I get to just share it with you so you can be just as uncomfortable as me. See? And so, the truth be told, though, this whole series is not going to be comfortable, probably, for the most of us, if not all of us. It, it's going to really speak to kind of the heart of the issues with, with us, especially as American Christians. Christians who live in the United States of America. And I say that only because I really do believe that we are at a very, uh, we are at a disadvantage spiritually just because of where we live. Just because of where we live. Jesus said that it's, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for the rich to get into heaven. Today is not a message about money. Today is not uh, well, it's kind of a message a little bit on material kind of stuff, but, but that isn't the focus. I'm just saying I think there is this connection between the comforts that we experience, the comforts that we have as, as Christians here living in the United States of America, and this disadvantage that we're at spiritually. Okay? And, and to, to kind of get the start, I want, I want to show you what I mean. I think you're going to resonate with some of these pictures. This here, this is a picture of my lawnmower's house. And, and no, I don't have a, a guy who cuts my grass who lives in there. I'm talking about the lawn mowing machine. 
I, he lives in that, ho- in that house right there. It's a, it's a little bit of a smaller house, but I bet you that there would be people in this world who would love to live in a structure like that. I bet you there's people, not only in our world, but probably within a couple miles of this campus who would love to live in a structure like that. The next picture, this is, this is a little bit bigger. And this is a picture where my, this is the house for my cars. And you'll notice the garage door is pretty, it's pretty wide and there's two of them that live in there. Two cars that live in a structure all the time, out of the elements. This, la- this other picture here uh, is something that I know that we all take for granted. It's, it's called clean drinking water. Now, this particular picture, I, I left the water run probably for 30 to 45 seconds because I had to get some different angles because the first time I took the picture, it was turned out too dark, so I moved over here. 35, 30 to uh, 45 seconds, I left the water running. Clean drinking water. But did you know that the World Health Organization says that 1.1 billion people do not have access to clean drinking water. 5,000 children die each day from diseases related to contaminated water. But I let it run just to take a picture of it. You see, these are things that I believe that we take for granted. These are comforts that we have here in the United States. Kind of a hard truth, isn't it? It's going to get worse in just a second. Okay, these next two pictures here are what we call perspective. I don't know why it's a little darker here in Blissfield, but it, it, it's a little darker here. But the picture over on the left is a home uh, of Pastor Sencion. He was a he's a pastor in Honduras. Uh, where this is the location in El Barro that we had gone to a few years back, and this was a home that he built for his family of seven. Uh, that home is probably uh, a little bit smaller than my garage. For a family of seven. The picture over on the right is his wife, Mara. She's actually, ironically, doing our laundry. But this little cistern, you really can't get a good picture of it, but the cistern here, uh, on the left-hand side of it, there's a, it's a, kind of a, filled with water, and they use it for doing laundry. They use it for cleaning dishes, for preparing their meals, for drinking water. Now, we never drank out of that. You know, we were like, are you kidding me? I ain't drinking out of that. We stopped and bought jugs of water, purified water. You see, we're at a spiritual disadvantage because we are filthy, stinking rich, and we won't admit it. We won't admit it. But I'm not trying to lay this guilt trip on us this morning. I'm trying to bring some perspective to who we are as American Christians and how great we do have it. I, I mean, if we're, if we're being honest, we, uh, we have it really good. Now, we have to, we have to ask ourselves the question, <clears throat> do we have it this good because Jesus loves us more than he loves everybody else? Or do we have it this good because Jesus is actually expecting more out of us? Does he bless us beyond belief because he loves us beyond belief? And maybe he just doesn't, you know, in essence saying, yeah, I really, maybe he just doesn't love others in the world as much as he loves us. You see, the problem is that we've blended the American dream with Christianity and what we have is a mess on our hands. Now, don't misunderstand me. I love this country. I love the country that I live in. But this is not the kingdom that I live for. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 3 that we are citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. And see, what we'll do, though, is we're, we're concerned as Americans. We're, we're, what are we concerned with these days? We're concerned that our, our rights are being taken away. We're concern, concerned that our rights are being infringed upon. We're, we're citizens of heaven. That right can never be taken away from us. 
the, the, the great news that comes along with that right can never be taken away from us. But if we're honest for a minute, we'll sit here and we'll say, well, we're persecuted. We're persecuted because they, the man, the government, however you want to say it, they won't let us pray in school anymore. Come on. Can we be honest? How many of us pray with our kids before they go to school? How many of us pray with our kids before they go to school? We feel that our rights are being infringed upon because they are redefining marriage. They are telling us that we have to accept gay marriage. They are doing these things to us. They can't redefine marriage for us. They can't redefine what God has already defined. They can't make us accept uh, behavior that is contrary to our belief system. Sinful? Yes. But guess what? So is relations between a man and a woman outside of the marriage bond. Sinful. Yes. But see, we'll justify it by saying, well, it's between a man and a woman. Uh, and and it's, it happens between a boy and a girl, but they're not supposed to yet. We sit here and we justify it. And we'll say things like, well, in God's eyes, we're already married. In God's eyes, we're already married. In fact, Joe, did you know that this is how they became married in the Bible? You see, we can sit here and justify, except I don't believe it's a proper interpretation of Scripture because there's plenty of Scripture that is contrary to the things that we try to justify. But when, it looks, when you look at the statistics of, of pregnancy outside of, of marriage, the statistics are staggering, which then leads us to the final hot-button topic that I'm going to share with you today. Uh, and you're sitting here going, seriously, there's more? Gosh, enough is enough. No, um, this is just how I roll. I'm going I'm to let you have it. Which then leads us to the other hot-button topic of which we say that they, the government, is trying to, to, to make us accept, and that's abortion. But here's the problem. The problem is that women who are obtaining abortions in the United States of America, 37% of them, 37% say that they are Protestant. 28% say that they are Catholic. Now, we've got a huge, huge problem when 65% of the women who are obtaining abortions in this country have a faith system that's rooted in Jesus Christ. There's a huge, huge problem here. You know, and we'll sit here and we'll fight tooth and nail for this microphone to stay on my face. Man, you got a stapler up there? I'll staple it on there. You know, we'll sit here and we'll, we'll fight tooth and nail. We'll fight so hard to say, but we're a Christian nation. We're a Christian nation. The problem is, the sad reality is, we don't have to look too far outside of our own homes to realize why we're not. But it's a truth that many of us are uncomfortable with admitting. It's a truth that many of us want to pretend that doesn't, it doesn't exist. But it's the same exact reason why many people sit here and go, why the heck do I want to be a part of what you guys are talking about? Why do I want to be a part of that? Look how you're living. You're saying this, but you're doing this. Our own homes reflect this huge disconnect, this huge dichotomy between what God says and what we do. Too many of our homes have a knowledge in and of Christianity, except our practices look just like the world we're called to reach. See, we want the government to be and do something for us that we're not willing to be and do for ourselves. And that's a problem. 
Now, I love this country. As I said, I love the country that I live in. I do. But it's not the country, the kingdom that I live for. Because this country, although we'll all sit here and say, yes, God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. We believe it. We believe God sent Jesus for the world. Yet, we believe that the world is right here in this little postage stamp that we call the United States of America. That, that this is it. Yeah, sure, we'll acknowledge the rest. But we think that this is, this is it for us. The USA has only 4.5% of the entire world population. 4.5%. There's a lot more of the world out there. And my guess would be that our brothers and sisters who are over in, in Asia, they're persecuted. They're the ones that are being persecuted. They're the ones who are actually losing their lives because of their faith in Christ. They're the ones who are given an opportunity. Hey, renounce him. Nope, I won't. Okay? And they cut their tongues out. This is, this is nasty stuff. These are truths, though. Truths that should make us uncomfortable. My guess would be, though, that those same brothers and sisters aren't. If they only knew how we were persecuted. Now, I've got some good news and bad news. Good news is I'm done with my little tirade. I'm glad I got through that on you now. You wrestle with it for a little bit. But here's the bad news. The bad news is now we're about to hear from Jesus. And Jesus' words are tougher than mine, stronger than mine. His expectations of us are higher than mine, I'm sure. But we're about to hear from Jesus. So if you would, our passage, take out your notes, follow along if you'd like, but our passage is found in Luke 14. Luke 14, 25 to 33, uh, and as you're turning there, I want to kind of set up where we're, where we're going by kind of looking at where we just came out, what we just came out of. There, Jesus has just taught uh, these people about this great banquet. He gives this parable of this great banquet, tells the story that the host is throwing this banquet, and he wants everyone to come. He wants everyone to come, okay? And what he finds is people start making these excuses, First guy says, you know, I, I would love to come, except I just bought a field, and i got to go take a look at it. Who buys a field, then go looks at it? Who does that? Nobody does that. It was an excuse. Second guy says, hey, hey I, I just bought some oxen. I need to go try them out. Who buys oxen without trying them out first? Third guy says, hey, hey I just got married. My wife won't let me. Now, if you were reading, that doesn't say that. That was my interpretation. That I could be wrong on that interpretation. But he says, I, I just got married, so I can't come. I can't. So the host says, wait a minute. He says to his servants, I'll tell you what. You see, what he was doing was giving this, this picture of inviting his chosen people. Inviting them to this banquet with Jesus as the Savior. He was inviting them to this great banquet. And his chosen people kept saying, eh, yeah, I got other things to do. And so, Jesus continues this story and says, well, here's what I want you to do, servants. I want you to go out and I want you to bring in everybody else. Bring in the lame, the crippled, the blind. Bring them all. Bring the people who, who my chosen ones think, I'm not here for them or I'm not going to send my Savior for them. Bring them too. Bring them all. I want them. I want my house to be filled. He then goes on to say that, you know what, by the way, none of those, none of those who were invited we're ever even going to get a taste of this banquet. You see, this, Jesus is given this picture of, this, of God's offer for salvation. And God's offer for salvation is for everyone.
But he transitions to say, although it's for everyone, being a follower of mine, being a disciple of mine, is for those who are going to be committed. Those who are willing to abandon themselves. Those who are going to be willing to pay a price for following me. You see, what he's really talking about is this radical followership. Radical followership. But in order to do that, we have to have this radical abandonment of ourselves. Let's begin by looking and reading uh, in verse 25. Jesus is speaking. He says, large crowd, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his, mother, or his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You see, following Christ means being devoted to him above anyone else. Devoted to him above anyone else. Jesus is making it clear right from the very start. Look, I'm not, I'm not interested in drawing a crowd. I'm not interested in being popular. What I'm interested in is people, developing people, who are going to be true disciples of mine. True disciples. True followers. And he's not interested in making people comfortable. All right? He's not interested in making people comfortable. Verse 27. And anyone who does, not, who, who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Okay. Hate your family. Carry your cross. You see, we have to remember that the people Jesus is speaking to have witnessed crucifixion. When Jesus says, pick up your cross, carry it, they know exactly what that means. They've witnessed criminals. They've witnessed those who were in opposition to the Roman Empire be made examples of. And it wasn't just to always punish the guilty party, but it was, it was also to, to show those who were watching. This is what awaits you. This is what awaits you. And so when Jesus is talking to these people, here's what they hear. Okay, dude, you just said, hate my family. Now you're telling me that if I am going to follow you, then I'm going to have to die. That, that, that sounds inviting, doesn't it? That, that's really inviting. Hate my family and die. What he's saying is, following Christ, it means that we have got to continually sacrifice who we were for who he is. And this is the picture that he was trying to convey. He is trying to convey this picture because following Christ means dying to ourselves. Dying to ourselves. Letting go completely of all that we've desired, all that we have pursued. It's letting go of all of it in order to fully embrace who he is and what he wants for us. Disciples have to sacrifice. True followers of Christ have to sacrifice. That should be the mark of our lives. Sacrifice. But it's really hard for us to understand, again, as Christians here in the United States, because we've insulated ourselves with everything that we think we need. Uh, We've insulated ourselves with everything that we've wanted. We don't tell ourselves no. We've insulated ourselves with every comfort known to man. So when it comes to sacrifice, we don't get it. And when we read passages in Scripture, when, you know, we sit there and go, well, okay, so God's saying get rid of everything. Ah. Get rid of everything. That's what, he, that's what he wants? No, that's not what he is saying. We'll get to that in just a moment. Let's pick up in verse 28. Verse 28 says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? 
For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation, while the other is still a long way off, and ask for terms of peace. You see, following Christ also requires a cost that should be considered before we commit. It should be considered before we commit. Using these two illustrations, Jesus taught that discipleship must include planning. Okay, we, we, we've talked about sacrifice already, but he's also talking that it, it requires that we've got to plan. This first illustration is talking about building a tower. But before a person begins to build, he should be able to be sure that he's able to, has the resources to finish the project. Followers of Christ as well should be sure that they're willing to pay the full price of following him. It's not, we're not, we're not promised ease. We're not promised comfort. All those things that we really want, we're not promised any of those things. But we've got to consider this cost before we commit. Because ultimately what it does is it requires radical abandonment. Radical abandonment of everything that we previously sought in life for the freedom to fully pursue Him in His glory. Verse 33 says, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. You know, as I was reading and preparing for this passage, that phrase kept jumping out. Verse 26, it says, cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, cannot be my disciple. And that is, it's kind of unnerving. It's a little bit unsettling. Cannot be my disciple. You know, Jesus says some very tough things in Scripture. And we see time and again where it says, yeah, I mean, let's, if we look at the rich young ruler, Jesus, his call to him was because of his heart to sell everything, give it to the poor, and then follow me. And that passage says that the, that the young man walked away sad. It doesn't say that Jesus followed after him. It doesn't say that Jesus was claiming, oh, no, 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 oh, you know what, I was just joking. Money man, <laughs> come here. Actually, you're going to help further our ministry because of your resources. Jesus says a lot of things in Scripture that people walk away from. And Jesus doesn't chase after them. He seems to be okay that people walk away. And it can be very hard for us to grab a hold of, can it? That, that doesn't sound like the Jesus that, that I know. Giving up uh, in this passage when it says, any of you who does not give up everything, giving up means relinquishing all control. Relinquishing all control. Now, we may not actually be called to literally abandon all of our possessions or literally abandon all of our relationships or die for the sake of Christ. But it does mean being, being literally willing to lose it all, even if we don't. Okay? It means that we've got to be willing to lose it all, even if we don't. Because again, why has God so blessed us here in the United States of America? Not because he loves us more, but because he expects more. He expects more out of us. So what is Jesus calling you to do? It's got to be more than for just this temporary existence here. It's got to be more for than just for our comforts here. 
When Jesus is leading, are you following or are you paving your own way? When Jesus is uh, 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 talking, are you listening or are you trying to convince him, eh, you know, God, I think we should go a different route. Are you living by the standards of Christ or are you picking and choosing which ones kind of fit in the moment? Or are you just def- justifying why you're not following his ways? Because that's really what we do, right? God gives us a call. Jesus gives us a call on our life. And then we say, well, eh, which way to go? We start weighing it out. But here's the truth. Jesus doesn't need your butt. Jesus doesn't need your butt. Now listen, before you get all upset. See, oftentimes what we want to do is we want to sit here and we want to moon God and show him our butt when his word is declared. See if any of this sounds familiar. I know I need to take that step of faith, but I don't know how things will turn out. I know I need to uh, admit that I'm struggling with this particular sin, but I'm afraid of what people will think of me. I know I need to share Christ with my friend, but they may label me and I may lose a friend. I know I need to put Jesus first in my finances, but I don't think I can afford to do that. I know I need to end this dating relationship, but if I do, then I may be single for the rest of my life. I know that God wants me to fight for my marriage, but the easiest thing to do is just to walk away and start all over again. I know I should get more involved. Maybe, maybe show up for a midweek prayer service. Maybe get involved in a life group. I know I should do that, but if I do that, then it cuts into my family time. And that sounds good, doesn't it? Family time? God's given us our families. Except when we say, I know I should spend more time with my family, but overtime's just too good to pass up. Those tickets are just too good. Those tickets don't come around very often. So I'll sacrifice my family this time. I know the decision that I need to make. But if I do that, what I know that I need to do, then it's going to cause me to have to embrace the unknown. You see what I mean? You see, we always want to show God our butt, but he isn't interested. He isn't interested because he sent Jesus to this earth for your butt. He sent Jesus to the cross to die on the cross for your butt. He was raised three days later for your butt. And he reigns over your butt. He reigns over my butt. So we need to stop telling him about our butt. And we need to get off our butt. We need to start doing and being the people that he's called us to be. Because no one, no one has ever accomplished anything great by showing God their butt. We need to radically abandon our butt and be radically obedient to Jesus' call or decide that this is just way too much. This whole Jesus thing, it's too much. And just walk away. And some of you are sitting here going, did, did, the, did the pastor just say for people to walk away from Jesus? Well, I did. But it's kind of a reiteration of Jesus' words. Revelation 3.15. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot, or neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's, that's harsh, man. That's harsh. But lukewarm is nasty. Anybody just love lukewarm coffee? 
nice refreshing glass of lukewarm lemonade? Man. No. No, because the reality is Jesus is someone worth losing everything for. Everything. Not just parts of our life, but every part of our life. He is worth it. He gave his life for us. We should be able to trust him with our own. So the question we're left with this morning is this. Do we believe that he's worth it? Do we believe that Jesus is worth losing everything for? I can't answer that question for you. You can't answer that question for me. We can't answer that question for our children in hope, in hope that they, that they follow our path of faith. This is a truth that each and every one of us has got to encounter on our own. Because going through the motions and being lukewarm and being half-hearted Christians is not what Jesus died for. He died for radical abandonment of ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your truth. And, and you know, it, your truth is, uh, can be very hard at times. But Father, the way we live at times, when our actions don't line up with our words, it's, it's the very reason why the world we're called to reach looks at us and just shakes their head. And they say, see, I don't want to be a part of that. God, would you help us? We can't do this on our own. If we could, we already would have. But Lord, we need your help. We need you to continually reveal those areas of our life that need to be just chipped away, that need to be surrendered. Father, help us not hold on to those areas, those things that ultimately we're afraid people will find out. Or If we gave them up, Lord, we wouldn't be, we just might not be that comfortable anymore. Father, help us to find our comfort in you and in you alone. Help us to be obedient to your call and your call alone. Help us be the people that you have came and died for. People who are fully committed. Not 99%. Because 99% of obedience is still 100% of disobedience. And God... We want to honor you with our lives. Every last part of it. Guide us in your truth. In Jesus' name.